Good morning, and welcome to worship. Trisha's gone, but I want to say thank you again to her because, um, you know, it, it is a beautiful thing when people share how God has spoken into their lives. And if you've been with us from the beginning of this series, you've seen through others' testimony how God speaks to each of us and to our specific situations in very different ways. Our God is a God of relationship, and he seeks to make himself known to us. We just have to be looking for him, and we have to have eyes to see and ears that hear. And I couldn't help but think about when Tricia said sometimes he has to take a, you know, two by four and hit her upside the head. But that's true for many of us. And over in scripture, over and over, you hear in the Old Testament, God saying that you are a stiff-necked people. And we do tend to be that way sometimes. So we do have to sometimes have those wake-up calls that uh, come in different ways. But it's always a blessing to hear a testimony that demonstrates how God can change your story and my story when we seek him and we enter into his presence. It's as we seek to live life according to his plan rather than our own, and as we spend time seeking him, that he does his best work of intervening and changing our hearts and our lives. If you happen to be visiting or streaming for the first time today, I'm Pastor Ann, and I am blessed and honored to serve alongside Pastor Andy here at the Way Woodstock. We're glad you're with us today, and we hope you will come back again and know that you're always welcome here, where we are committed to introducing others to Christ by sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. In this sermon series, we've been asking that question, what is your story? And we're also stating a beautiful truth from Scripture, and that is that your story can change with God. We've already looked at three people from Scripture. We've looked at Leah and Matthew and Joseph, and we've seen how God intervened into their lives and restored their souls. And now we've heard three testimonies during this sermon series of how God has still intervened currently in the lives of people in our day and age. He's still at work, folks, and he wants to intervene into all of our lives. Today we're going to go back in scripture again to the Old Testament to see how God intervened in another person's life. We're going to be looking at the book of Esther, chapter 4, to see how God shows up in her life and how he works his change in her. So let's turn to the book of Esther, the fourth chapter, verses 6 to 17, and hear the word of God. So Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave a copy of the text of the edict edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy, and to plead with him for the people. 
Hatak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they will be put to death unless the king tends extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews that are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will do will fast as you, as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear most gracious God, we just ask, Lord, that you send your Holy Spirit, that you open our eyes and you open our ears to hear the message that you have for us today in this story from the Old Testament of Esther and your intervention into her life. And it is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Now, we can see when we read these verses that we have actually walked in in the middle of some kind of situation. There are five people that are mentioned in these verses, and to more fully understand what's going on and how God is at work, we really need to learn a little more about each one of them. First, there's Hatak. He was one of the king's eunuchs, and he was assigned to attend to the queen. To Queen Esther, it appears in today's scripture that he's acting as a messenger between Queen Esther and Mordecai. And then there's Mordecai. Mordecai was a Jew who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem during the Nebuchadnezzar, when Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. He was Esther's cousin in actuality, but he had brought her up because her mom and dad had been killed. So Mordecai had actually taken Esther as his own daughter and raised her as if she were his own. And then we have the king. Now, if you start in the book of Esther, the very first thing you learn about this king is he is just out there. He is just so proud of everything he has and everything he's done. He wants everybody to know. In that first book, we see that in the first chapter of Esther, we see King Xerxes giving a banquet to display his vast kingdom and his wealth to all his nobles and officials, to the military leaders of Persia and Medes, Media, and the princes and the nobles of the provinces. I'm tongue-tied this morning. 
um, we're told that this banquet lasted 180 days. A banquet, a party, 180 days. And after this banquet, <laughs> after this banquet, he has a more private banquet in the garden of the king's palace for all the people who lived at the, in the citadel at Susa. We're also told that at this time, the queen was Queen Vashi, and she was giving a banquet alongside the banquet he was giving, but hers was for all the women in the, in the royal palace. On the seventh day of this, this private banquet, when the wine had been flowing freely, the king decides that he would like to call the queen in so that he can let everyone see the beauty of his queen. So he summons the queen, Queen Vashi. Well, she decides that she doesn't want to be put on display, so she refuses to go. You can imagine how that went over, right? He's got all these people, and she's just said no. So he, the king calls in all of his, his um, experts in the law and says, what am I to do? And so they advise him to write a royal decree stating that Bashi should never again enter the king's presence and that he will be giving her royal position to someone who is more deserving. So a little t- bit of time passes And then we find that suddenly the king is missing his queen. So he again talks to his attendants, his personal attendants, and they recommend to him that he make a search of all the beautiful virgins in the area and that he can find a new queen. So these young women, are they come to the courts, and the first thing they do before they ever go to the king is they go through a treatment, a beauty treatment, a period of time where they receive all these things to make them even more beautiful than they were to start with. And as they do that, one by one, they appear before the king. And the young woman who pleases the king the most will be the new queen, So enter Esther. Now, Esther had not revealed her nationality or family background because Mordecai had told her not to. And she, like a good daughter, did what he said. But but Mordecai really cared for Esther, and he was really concerned about what was going on with her. So every day he would walk back and forth in the courtyard daily to check on her and see what was happening to her. Now, the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and we are told that she won his favor and approval more than any of the others. So the king sets a royal crown on her head and makes her his new queen. But the plot thickens. While sitting at the king's gate, Mordecai overhears two guards that are talking about assassinating the king. And so he sends a message to Queen Esther And tells her about the plot, which she relays to the king. They investigate, and sure enough, that was going to happen. They were were plotting. So those two guards, of course, were done away with. But then comes that last person that was mentioned. One time his name was mentioned, Haman. Well, Haman was a guy that the king thought was a good guy. He thought he was on his side, and he thought he was a good person. So he honored Haman. And he elevated him and gave him a seat of higher honor than any of the other nobles in the court. All the royal officials were to kneel down 
and pay tribute and honor to Haman, for the king had commanded that. But Mordecai, being a good Jewish man, would not bow down. He would not pay honor to Haman. When Haman realized that Mordecai was a Jew and that he was refusing to kneel down and pay homage to him, he looked for a way not only to destroy Mordecai, but to destroy all the Jews. So he goes to the king and he says, There are certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. And it is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administration for the royal treasury. The king agrees to send out a decree. Now, when Mordecai learns of this decree, he goes into mourning. He tears his clothing, and he puts on sackcloth and ashes. He goes out into the city, and he wails loudly and bitterly. In all the provinces where the edict has gone out, there was great mourning among the Jews, because this was going to be the end of them. They joined Mordecai in wearing sackcloth and ashes. And this is where we found ourselves today in the scripture. Queen Esther has known nothing about this this decree that has gone out until Hatak comes back with that message from Mordecai. And he is instructing her to go and beg, plead for mercy for the Jewish people with the king. Now, Esther's reaction was one of sudden terror. She was fearful about going into the king's presence because she, along with all the king's officials and people, knew that anyone who approached the king without being summoned might be subject to the law that he had about putting them to death unless unless he extended his gold scepter to them and spared their life. So Esther, of course, replies from that place of fear and terror reminding him, remember that law? I I don't want to do this. And it's at this time that Mordecai reminds her that the Jews will be delivered with or without her help. That's faith, guys. The Jews will be delivered with or without your help. But if it's without your help, you and your family will perish. That's the message he sent back to Esther. And, of course, that would mean Mordecai as well because he was part of her family. And then comes that very important question statement that Mordecai makes. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? Who knows? Now, this question or statement seems to make an impact on Esther. Maybe, just maybe, that's true. Maybe she is where she is for a reason, even though it's a very uncomfortable, scary place to be. Maybe God has a bigger plan for her life. 
So Esther sends back a request to Mordecai, a very important quest, request. She asked Mordecai to gather all the Jews in Susa together and for them to fast for her. For three days and three nights, they're not to eat anything, they're not to drink anything. And she commits that she and her attendants will do likewise. And then when the fast is over, she'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And we're told that Mordecai went away and he carried out the instructions that Esther gave him. Now, if we're not familiar with fasting, we may ask, why was this request, what was this about? Why is this important? But fasting during that time was very common, and it was a practice that was, had been done for years in the world around them. And fasting was almost always accompanied with prayer. So what Esther was really asking for was to take time away from eating and drinking, to go into God's presence and pray for her. When the people fasted, they were also humbling themselves before God. They were recognizing their dependence on him, and they were seeking his will for their lives. Now, at that time, it was common for people to fast for a variety of reasons. They might fast if there was war or if there was a threat, a threat of war. They might fast if a loved one was sick. They might fast if one had died, if someone they loved had died. They might fast when they're asking for God's forgiveness. They might fast and set up a fast to commemorate calamities that had happened. Or they might fast when they faced danger. Queen Esther recognized that she could be putting herself in danger by going to the king without having been summoned. So she wanted to pray. She wanted God's will to happen here. She's acknowledging not only her need for God to help her overcome her terror, her fear, and provide strength for her, but also for God to provide his wisdom on how to approach the king. Now, I'm not going to get into that, but I will encourage you to read the rest of the book of Esther and see how she approached the king to accomplish what she needed to accomplish. Because it wasn't haphazardly. So God must have given her some instruction there. And in asking Mordecai to gather all the Jews together for that fast, Queen Esther is also acknowledging that she needed the prayers of others to help her. You know, it's kind of like the mat carriers with the paralyzed man. He couldn't get before Jesus in the New Testament. So the mat carriers, they took him. Well, when we ask people to pray for us, they are carrying us in their prayers before the throne of God. And Queen Esther knew she needed that. Now, in the Old Testament, fasting was also often um, accompanied by other signs of humility and brokenness, such as weeping and mourning lamenting, as well as wearing the sackcloth and ashes. And we learned that Mordecai and many of the Jews, when they first discovered the, about the king's decree, they began doing that. They, they began humbling themselves before God and saying, we need your intervention. We need your help. 
We need your discernment. In the presence of God, during these three days of fasting, Queen Esther's story changed. Where there was fear, suddenly there came a boldness and a determination that regardless of the possible outcome, she would do what she was being asked to do by Mordecai. With God's help, she would help save her people, and God's justice would indeed prevail. So what about us? What do we do when we're confronted with our fears? Oftentimes, we may draw close to God in prayer. But do we fast? Is that something that many of us are used to doing? Probably not. It's kind of gone out of fashion, so to speak. Do you ask others to join you in prayer, to be your mat carriers, carrying you before God's throne in prayer? When we look at the world around us, we too can see the forces of evil that can destroy body and soul of others. Maybe, just maybe, we too are being called for such a time as this. May we take a lesson from Queen Esther to enter into God's presence. May we spend time in seeking his wisdom. Could we, maybe, benefit from fasting where we actually would give up the comfort of food to spend time with and receive from the one who feeds our soul? There's a lesson for us here. May we learn to spend dedicated time with God, seeking his will in order to step forward in his wisdom that others may be saved by the one who saves all who seek him. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear most gracious God, we thank you for the lessons from scripture. You know, Lord, we read these stories sometimes and we, we hear them, but we don't really see them or hear them. But Lord, I pray today that we have heard from you, that we have heard the importance, Lord, of drawing close to you, of seeking you, in the good times, in the bad times, and all the in-between times, of spending time in your presence. Lord, I just pray that as we do that, that we will begin to see clearly where you would have us go, what you would have us do, and what you would have us say. And it is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.